In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, what does it mean to be a human being? To a large extent, this is what philosophers of all ages have attempted to answer. What is the purpose and the meaning of life? Is there any, right? Is there a goal? What are we supposed to be doing and how do we know when we've done it? Or is the entire existence random and aimless and completely void of any meaning or reason? Well, I've mentioned what philosophers have said in other sermons and Bible studies and what they say isn't good. In fact, it gets dark very, very quickly. So since I only have a limited amount of time and I want to use, uh, I want to use it uh, telling you what the purpose and meaning of life is. But in order for you to understand why you exist, you have to understand and learn first why anything exists. This world exists because God created it. Without any outside force, influence, or counsel, God of his own volition chose to create this world, everything in it, everything you see, everything you don't see. He brought everything into existence, light, dirt, water, trees, animals, angels, humans, and so on. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. He created the entire world in six 24-hour days, no more and no less. Scripture says it was evening and it was morning, and it was the first day and the second day and the third and the fourth and so on. Not over the course of millions or billions of years, but in the span of a week, the Lord created all things. And that is the word of the Lord who does not lie or deceive us. Now, it's not simply that the Lord created, past tense, but that the Lord creates, present tense, right now. He's not a God who simply started creation and then wound it up and then let it go on its way and tends to other things. Rather, he is still deeply and profoundly involved in everything he creates. Everything exists only because of him. Uh, Job chapter 12 says, the life of every living thing is in his hand and as well as the breath of all mankind. And then, in fact, Job 34 says that we can't exist apart from him. That if God were to set his heart to it and withdraw his spirit and breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So God not only created the world, but he sustains it and he continues to create And so what does that mean? This means that you are his creation. That he thought of you, imagined you, and then created you. He intentionally and purposefully created you specifically as you are. He made no mistake In making you, you are a man because that's how he designed you. You're a woman because that's how he designed you. He made you exactly the way he did because it pleased him to do so. And this also means that not one life is created by chance. Everyone, every person, every baby, every tiny little infant in their mother's womb 
is created by God himself. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. When you see the eyes and the toes and the hearts and the veins and the legs and the hands of the baby in the womb, that is God in real time knitting that baby together, putting them piece by piece together, connecting veins and bones and limbs, placing every hair follicle exactly where he wants it to be. That is God creating in the moment. And you were not created by accident, by random mutation or mindlessly brought into existence. You did not evolve from anything else. You were designed by God, created by him, and you are his precious creation. And he still involves himself with you. Notice the verse. It says, he numbers the hairs on your head. Currently, no matter how that number changes throughout the years, right? He counts them. He knows them. You are entirely unique. You are the only you in existence. There was never a you before in the history of the world, and there will never be a you again in the existence of the world. God made you And you are unique and you are his distinct and remarkable creature that he loves and adores. He created your eyes, your ears, your reason, all of your senses, all of your members. He created not only your body, but also your personality, your mind, the way you think, your heart, the way you love, all these things, your soul. He created all these things. Now, the problem is that sin has damaged us. It's damaged me and you. It's damaged our bodies so that they don't work the way they should. Your body has things that the Lord didn't put there. Scrapes and scars and burns and bruises and diseases. Your eyes and ears and heart and mind are failing because of the sin that we inherited from Adam and the sin that we've added since. Not just that, but sin has also damaged your personality, hasn't it? It's changed you as a person. Worst of all, sin has damaged your soul. And so it's this reason why you aren't as cheerful and content as the Lord created you to be. This is why you oftentimes snap back and yell and fight and curse at others. Where did all of the impatience and selfishness and discouragement come from? Where did all the lust and the anger and disobedience and and, and, uh, covetousness come from? The Lord didn't make you that way. It's sin. Sin has damaged us even at the moment of conception. It's warped us and made you what you weren't meant to be. And on account of this, sin, wickedness, and evil, your body and soul, the one that the Lord so lovingly created, was destined for hell and condemnation. You, the very creature of God, were because of your own sin worthy of eternal damnation. But the Lord did not create you for death. He didn't create you for hell. And hell wasn't created for humans, for people. And yet this is where sin takes us. 
And so even though the Lord himself created you good, and even though your sin took you away from him and made you worthy of death, the Lord Jesus did not shy away from leaving his throne in heaven to come and get you, to redeem you. He came to save you. The body that he created, the person, the creature, you as a person, he wanted to redeem from sin and condemnation. So learn this well. You were not created for hell and damnation but you were created to be redeemed. In other words, when the Lord made you, he made you so that he could love you. So good parents have children for the sole purpose of having somebody else to love, someone else to sacrifice their money and their time and their leisure and their health to. They bring a life into the world for the sole purpose of loving that child. Good parents have children to love those children. And so too, the Lord has brought you into existence for that very reason, to love you. So people ask, what's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to accomplish? And there are entire books and workshops and questionnaires and tests all designed to help you figure out that in life. In fact, uh, this week, this past week, well, uh, there were a number of people cleaning out the storage rooms in the back. Uh, some of you found an entire box full of posters, signs, and uh, materials advertising something called a purpose-driven life. Uh, the, the craze from Rick Warren that swept across the nation uh, to countless churches. Uh, if you haven't read it, uh, good. <laughs> uh, but if you have then you will remember that the main thesis of this book is this, that your purpose in life is defined by what you do and accomplish. And then it goes on to say that life has meaning and purpose when you can answer these two questions. First, what did you do with Jesus? And two, what did you do with everything that God gave you? And you see the emphasis here, right? On you and do. What did you do? And if you're honest, it's not going to take very long before both of those questions drive you to despair. When I honestly answer those questions, I remember all the times that I sinned against the God who made me. All the times I forgot him betrayed him, sinned, and put myself above him. I remember all the times I completely wasted and squandered the things he gave me like the prodigal son. I look back on my life, and there is not much to be proud of. I look in my heart, and I see sin and anger and lust and guilt and sadness. And if you're honest, you'll find the same. But the scriptures teach us something different. Our purpose in life is not defined by what we do, but by what God has done for us. Your purpose in this life is not found in anything you have done or have not done, but it is found solely in what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And that is why you are valuable. 
Your purpose is not found in what you've done with Jesus, but your purpose is found in what Jesus has done with you. And what has he done? He has redeemed you from sin, from death, from the power of the devil. What did he do with you? He spilled the very blood in his veins for your sake, for your salvation. He gave his entire life until his heart failed, his lungs collapsed because he thought that you were valuable and precious, a treasure worth every ounce of pain and suffering and sadness that he had to endure. Your purpose in this life is not found in what you do with the stuff you have. But it's found in the fact that the Lord has chosen out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy without merit or worthiness in you. To bless you day after day, gift after gift, moment after moment, meal after meal with grace upon grace. Your purpose in this life is to be loved by God. And you are. Simply at the thought of you existing, the Lord was overjoyed. Before you existed, while you were in his mind, he loved you. While you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. And this means that your purpose in life is fulfilled. In Christ, your life is always fulfilled no matter how many days you've lived no matter how many awards you've won, how much money you have, how many things you have, how many times you've failed, how many debts you face, how many troubles you have, how many tears you've shed, your purpose in life, your meaning is found here in the wounds of the God who loves you. And when Christ came to this world, he began to restore this creation to perfection. He healed the sick and restored sight to the blind calm the storms, raise the dead. He began to restore the world back to what it should be. In salvation, he redeemed you, and you are already perfect in his eyes through faith. And on the last day, you will be what you already are by faith. And so the question is, so what happens in the meantime? What happens from right now until the final day? Do you live indulging in sin or carelessly? No, you begin to become what you already are by faith. You will never be perfect in this life, but each day that goes by, you strive and fight to become more and more of what you already are in the the Lord's eyes. Look, before closing, I want to drive this point home and explain it with an anecdote. Uh, People asked uh, the artist Michelangelo how he decided to create and sculpt out of stone the things he was going to make. And to this, he responded by saying, every block of stone has a statue in it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. So Michelangelo uh, would look at a piece of rock or stone, and then he would just take away the parts that were not the statue, not the piece. And so in his mind, he wasn't the one carving out the stone. He simply took the things away that were hiding it things that weren't supposed to be there. And the same is true for you, that the Lord is recreating you and renewing you in the same manner. With his word, every time you hear this word, he is chipping away those parts of you that don't belong, the parts that are hiding who he created you to be. 
when you come to church and hear the word, he is carving away that worry that is hiding you as a person, as his child. That anger and bad temper you have with his word, he is chipping away at that. That lustful heart, the Lord is cracking away at the discontentment and depression and anxiety, sadness and grief and shame. The Lord is hammering away at those things. He didn't create you with those. Those sins are hiding you how you were created to be. And so every time he calls you to repentance, he is taking those things away, remaking you, recreating you as we speak. It's a lifelong work that won't be accomplished in this life, but on the last day, the last and the final day in the resurrection, the final peace, that sin and death that is left will fall and be dashed to pieces and he will reveal the perfect you, the imperishable you, the one he created, the one he redeemed, the one he sanctified without sin, without tears or fear or regret or guilt or worry or sadness or bitterness or blindness or disease. Because of Christ, everything will be as he designed it. In baptism... God began the work of restoring you. A work that will be completed on the final day. So, practice the resurrection. Start living now what you will be then and what you already are in faith. Begin to live your life as you will on that final day. When he recreates you perfectly in his image. Amen. Peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.